Welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop, the podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Steve Gotzler. And I am Jordan Tynes. Uh, this is the second installment of our new series on designer deep dives. We are joined today by the legendary Elizabeth Hargrave, who maybe needs no introduction, uh, though we will offer one here for listeners. Uh, Elizabeth is the designer of the uh, famous game, the Phenomenon Wingspan, uh, as well as, uh, is it Tussie Mussie? Yes. Tussie Mussie? How do you say it? Yep. Tussie Mussie. Tussie Mussie and Mariposas, and most recently working on a game called the Fox Experiment. Many of you who are tuning in, as Steve mentioned, do not need to be introduced to Elizabeth Hargrave. Wingspan has gained global notoriety. Mm-hmm. It has won the, I'm going to get this wrong, Kennerspiel de Yaris. Is that right? I think wrong? you pronounce the yeah. S in, in the D-E-S. I don't I okay. had um, practiced it with Germans yeah. when I was there. <laughs> Des Yaris. Kinderspiel Des Yaris. Yeah. So great. Thank you. Um, which is, I, I think, the most prestigious award you can uh, receive for a game, along with, I think, I counted off of Board Game Geek 16 other awards and dozens of other nominations. And it's just, it's a phenomenon, as Steve said. Mm-hmm. And um, it does a wonderful job at communicating the subject matter of birds. Mm-hmm. and all Brilliant. kinds of things about them. For anybody who's, play, who's played it before, they already know. Um, they, they have learned a lot about birds through playing that game. Uh, and we can get into maybe some of that, but I think let's just uh, open it up. How, how are things going, Elizabeth? Are you, what are you working on right now? Right now I'm working on a game about mushrooms and how they trade Ooh. resources underground with trees. Wow. Cool. So more science. More science. I'm a big mushroom forager. Ah, I've given my local mushroom club. So I've been saying for years, someday I will do a mushroom game. That sounds great. And and of course, you know, anybody listening who has familiarity with you at this point um, would also know that you're probably in the middle of some things with the Fox experiment still, which just concluded its Kickstarter campaign. Where is that in production? Um, I think it's going to go to the printer soon. I just did a big review of the final laid out rule book, which sadly was not laid out before the Kickstarter campaign, but that's a story (laughs) for another day. So you have now at least three game designs that are exploring some hardcore science Mm -hmm. from different perspectives. And um, I'm curious to know, what about your background should we know about uh, that influences your choices as designers to as a designer to explore topics like butterflies uh, migration and um, mm. uh, genetics, uh, the genetics of fox breeding and birds broadly? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not it's definitely not part of my professional background. I was a social science person um, for many years and sort of health policy world. But I grew up in a very um, nature-loving family, and my dad was a bench scientist in microbiology, so not like any of the stuff that I'm doing because I don't know how you do microbiology in a game. Maybe I should talk to him about it. Um, (laughs) And my mom, before I came along, was a biology teacher. Um, So definitely, like, interested in it. From a very young age, probably being very much um, instilled into me by my parents without me really thinking about it. But um, yeah, I've just always been into 
nature and it was something that as I got more and more into board games I it was something that I was really missing in the themes I think that's changed a lot in mm. the last several years I think wingspan was sort of part of a zeitgeist shift that, um, mm-hmm. yeah not only wingspan but it was certainly um, at, at the toward the front of the pack as some publishers have gotten more comfortable sort of breaking out of the castles and trains genre <laughs> board games and trying mm. other things yeah, I mean, I do love my occasional castle and train game, but <laughs> for sure, there's very few of them on my shelf because there has been, as you mentioned, a big shift in that. And yeah. I certainly would agree with your um, your design being inspirational. And uh, I would say that Zeitgeist shift has become just a deluge of options out there now where we're seeing more and more of this. And when you got started with your design, many of these types of games did not exist. And so what was inspiring to you about the games you were, you had played or that you were looking at or thinking about to make the game wingspan? I mean, I love the mechanics of Euro games and, and the sort of, I don't know, it scratches a great itch in my brain to, to sort mm. of think through all my options and to have all the interesting decisions on your turns and, so yeah, it really was just a conversation with some friends and my spouse about like, we love all these games so much and why aren't any of them about anything that we care about even remotely? <laughs> when you made the decision to like design a board game, um, you mentioned you had this sort of lifelong love of nature that you got from your family and your, your upbringing and things like that. How important was the experiences you were having in health policy doing what I gather, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically working in sort of like data science and data analytics? And so, so I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about like the degree to which gaming and game design, especially for you, is both a like deeply analytical and creative pursuit. Yes, I think that's all true. Um like to me, the process of iterating on a game or, or even the initial design feels very much like a puzzle to me. Like I kind of mm-hmm. have a vision of what I want and it's a matter of figuring out how to get there. And, you know, the first draft may be um, not a great implementation. And so like, how do you get from point A to point Z of that design and, and sort of more closely matching the, the vision that you have and um mm. that to me very it does feel very similar to sort of game playing puzzle solving um like making decisions and seeing what happens you know mm. um so yeah i i do think there's a lot of similarities there do you remember if in the case of wingspan the bird theme came first or the mechanics that you're interested in creating came first and how how did those how did those relationships develop over time? I mean, I would say I'm sort of theme first, but on almost every game I have designed, and Wingspan is no exception. There's always been like to start working on a game, you also need some mechanical sense of what you're going to do mm. with that theme, right? Like I think anyone who says they're theme first, you can't. There's no game until you have the mechanics. Right. right. And so I have like a list of, you know, 50, 100 things on my phone of like, these would be fun game themes, but none of them are a game idea or a game design. It's just a list of themes. And the thing that makes it a game idea, a game design that I'm ready to start working on is um, some mechanical hook, right? So with Wingspan, it was what, it, 
my spouse literally said, what if there was Rays for the Galaxy, but with birds? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that was like, mm-hmm. that's, right. and there are, have been a few reviewers who are like, this feels a little bit like Rays for the Galaxy. And mm-hmm. they're like, mm-hmm. you got it. You saw it. Uh, even though, you know, the end result was, was not directly linked, you know, it's not a pasted on theme on top of the race for the galaxy mechanics at all, but there is sort of that core, like engine buildery card based feeling to it. Um, Hmm. right. So with Mariposas, it was, I want to do a game about monarch butterflies and clearly the mechanic for that needs to be moving pieces around on the map. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tussie Mussie was actually, um, I had listened to two different podcasts, uh, with two different people who both said they thought that I split you choose was an underused mechanic. Um, mm-hmm. and button should I put out this game design? I was thinking, okay, 18 cards, I split you choose might be an interesting way to sort of like squeeze more game out of that small space. And I looked through that list on my phone and was like, oh yeah, giving people flowers. I split you choose, right? So like, it's that marriage of theme and mechanics that really is like mm-hmm. my jumping off point. So that that's really interesting to hear you talk through that that process. I'm wondering if for you, because as Jordan mentioned, like there is such a, uh, a like through line of science and even sort of like ecology, I might say, like in, in your games, right? Like your bird watching, you're, there are humans in there, like interacting with the ecosystem. Even Tussie Mussy is like the socio, social ecology of Victorian manners and domesticated <laughs> flower cultivation, right? I wonder if you find in your own work that there are certain mechanical uh, systems or certain mechanics that seem more adept at abstracting ecological systems or relationships, or is it like totally divorced in your mind? And it's just sort of like, in the example you were just giving, like, well, I really was just interested in split, you split, uh, or I split, you choose. But, and then I found, oh, flowers, this is perfect, right? Um, or you, what do you think about that? I'd be just curious to hear you. That's a good question. That. I don't know that there's anything inherent. I mean, I think resource scarcity or some feeling of like competition Mm. over resources would probably be a common theme in a lot of games about nature and there's often some representation of um, reproduction but Mm. that can be really different right again wingspan it's just laying eggs and you get points for them but you never really hatch any (laughs) eggs Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like in fox in the fox experiment that's like front and center that's the whole game making baby foxes um and in mariposas i've worked in the the different generations of butterflies so that's been a sort of a a a three thing but it's not really a mechanical three thing because the mechanics of each one of those things are completely different in those three games so the fox experiment seems like a very specific subject right it's it is it is this about this very specific experiment that happened at a very specific place in a very specific point in time mm-hmm. where you're you're breeding foxes to perhaps have more more dog-like traits and studying the domestication of of canines i'm guessing is sort of where that's going how much did you know about that before you started that design game like how did you learn about this and and what's your research mm-hmm. process and where did where did you come up with this idea and it, i remember Hearing about you... it in multiple ways. I think the thing that really sprung me for the for the game design was a radio lab episode that they did about the experiment. Oh, cool. Um, there was also a big article in National Geographic, but that was further back. I don't think I saw that until after I started working on it. But there have been articles over the years in different 
periodicals and um, eventually there was a book that I didn't find until after I started working on the game um, by a guy named Lee Dugatkin who actually went over to Russia and hung out with uh, the folks there and, and uh, co-authored it with a scientist who has been there since the beginning of the experiment in the 1950s wow. and is still there working what with amazing. the boxes. Um, she's pretty amazing. But yeah, so it is this super specific instance, but it's also this ex this experiment explained a lot of things about domestication that no one had figured out how to test before. So it it has a much broader significance than the mm. place, but the place and the animals that happen to be that experiment are such an evocative set of things that it seemed worth like yeah. really basing it on that exact did you interview anybody uh, uh, who was associated with the experiment I, I to talk, help you i talked to the guy who wrote the book we were pretty oh, far yeah. along um in the the project when we got a chance to talk to him and sort of reached out and um we never sat down and played it with him. It was during the pandemic, um, but we did sort of like explain how the game worked and sort of got his thoughts on all of that and, and a little bit more backstory. Although there's there's a Todd in his book. It's a great, it's called To Tame a Fox. Um, it sounds, sounds so like pastoral. <laughs> and then, you know, through Wingspan, I have this amazing network of people. And so like when I mentioned on some interview that I was working on this game, a couple of geneticists reached out to me and were like, we're curious, mm -hmm. you know, geneticists, board gamers. So we got one of them to play <laughs> with us on tabletop simulator. Um, oh, cool. Although she didn't play the final version of it, but uh, yeah, just to like, I did want to get people's sense that we were on the right track and that this wouldn't feel <laughs> weird. One of the real challenges in that game was um, I didn't want it to feel like you were doing genetic manipulation like in the lab mm, right mm. because they were really just doing it on selection like breeding selected foxes together and seeing what happened they were they were never going in and doing CRISPR or anything on the mm, right yeah, yeah. Mm. so that's that's interesting do you feel like this this to me feels like a relatively academic scholarly process right we we as academics submit writing to groups who peer review and send you comments and say like let's make let's make some changes here before I'm okay releasing to this world. And do you feel any that do you feel that kind of pressure when you're working on a game like the ones you work on? Yeah, a little bit like you want to get it right. You don't want, right. you don't want your game to come out mm -hmm. and then have experts be like, "Oh, nice try, but you really screwed this <laughs> thing up," you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Sort of takes the winds out of your sails. So yeah, we did it with with mariposas. Um, the developer at AEG re reached out to some entomologists to talk to them about it. And and um, with wingspan, it was really I was enough of a birder that I felt like I was, with the North American birds that I could mm. do it. I didn't um, when I when I play tested it. Other people who were birders definitely would would play test it with me sometimes. Um, so I got that kind of gut check. And then for the, uh, for the expansions, I have tried to make sure that, um, Stonemeyer helps recruit, um, play testers in the place that the expansion is set. So that like, oh, people cool. who, who know those birds 
are playing it um and they have caught a few things here and there in, oh yeah in the fun facts or whatever um huh. but not too much yeah. That's that's cool though. I'm glad that that process actually rewards you with some some opportunity to make adjustments. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty ideal blend of playtesting and peer review, right? <laughs> right. It's like you, well, with the I, you know, I definitely want to talk to the geneticist about the game, but I'd rather have the geneticist play the game uh, as well as talk to me yeah. about. Are you hopeful that your games are going to teach people something about the subject matter that yeah. you are representing? My goal is generally like, here's this cool thing in the world and I want people to know about it. And I don't really care whether you like retain a lot of the details. Like um, Hmm. with Wingspan, people definitely do who are playing a lot. I'll get little notes of like, I saw such and such bird today. Like, I think the first one was someone who saw an Inhinga in Florida and, you know, they, they perched the, the, illustration on the card is with its wings out, which is a th- something uh. that anhingas do. They'll just sit there drying themselves. They're diving birds. They get wet. They put their, their wings out. It's this very distinctive pose that some birds will do occasionally, but anhingas do it all the time. And someone was like, I was driving down the road and I saw a bird doing that and I knew it was an anhinga because of wingspan. <laughs> so that was, that was cool. And I've gotten a lot of little notes like that over the last few years. And that's really fun. So people are actually retaining it. As I was first starting to work on Wingspan, I was sort of looking at like what bird games are out there. And at that time, all of them were just trivia based. So you, oh. how well you did at the game really depended on you knowing bird facts. And I knew that I did not want that. I really wanted it to be a Euro game first. And like the bird information mm-hmm. is just a, a pleasant thing that you can engage with or not as much as you want. As we mentioned at the top, like while you're mentioning Wingspan with these stories about like, you know, fan notes and stuff, it's an absolute, that game is an absolute phenomenon in the hobby, right? Um, I was, I saw on Etsy the other day, uh, a sweatshirt with the resource icons, uh, like screen printed, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought not only did I think, oh, that's incredible that there's like, like swag for the game, but then I also was like, that's really cool. I want one. Uh, but <laughs> What do you think, you know, I'm, this is what the, the actual question I was going to ask, you know, what do you think accounts for the, you know, quote unquote, unlikely success of a game like Wingspan? Because, you know, at the time of its release, it was a part of the zeitgeist, as you mentioned, but it was not the com. it wasn't as well established kind of like zone of game theming to do these sorts of games. Have you thought about that at all? I mean, do you have any ideas why you think it took off in such a way? It's hard. If I knew, I would just do it over and over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I do think part of it is the total product, which I can't take credit for, but like the mm. art and the, the product design, you know, the eggs are so tactile and the, you know, yeah. all of that stuff. Part of it, I think, was a hunger for, for new themes that publishers were not totally clued into. Part of it I think is the mechanics of it in that it's like, I don't, I think of it as gateway plus, like Mm. usually I would not take a game that is the, the complexity level of wingspan and try to like teach it to someone who has never played board games before, but people were, there is like birding is a really popular hobby. There are a lot of birders and people were really motivated by the theme to push themselves to learn it. Um, And those are the people we like 
hurried up in mid 2019 after it had already come out and like created the swift start guides to help onboard people that might have trouble learning it. Um, but it is like, it's just within reach. So the fact that it is like still like just within reach of a pretty wide audience, um, and is like, theoretically doable for people who haven't played games a lot because it it broke out of the board game world into the birding world and then the, like it's in target now um right, so right. that's part of it but also but mechanically i talk about it sometimes as a, a like double engine building like the fact that every time you play something onto your map makes you better like builds your engine no matter what because you're moving up on the resources that you get from the mat and then those birds often also have something that gets triggered when you go back over them mm-hmm. um so you're like always moving forward and it's a very satisfying feeling and so mechanically i think that's um that's part of it too yeah it's very um it's a very approachable game yeah. Like, a part of that is like what you were discussing with the design components. Like it looks incredible. It feels incredible. Like you want to go sit down and look at it for a few hours, even if that's like, a, oh, I have to learn this rule if you're not, if you're not a gamer. But also some of the, um, some of the like um, component mechanics within that engine, that double engine system are very familiar and approachable as well. Like hand management and you know, like set collection. Anyone who's played cards can sort of like get the hang of like trying to yeah. wrap their head around that. Yeah. Another aspect of it that Jordan, I know you've mentioned a couple of times, is it while it is a really crunchy, satisfying uh, Euro style game, it doesn't have a lot of like direct conflict, yes. which also makes it approachable for people who are non gamers. Yeah. So you're not going to like spend an hour learning how to play Wingspan and then have your gamer, you know, nephew or whatever, like destroy all your eggs. Right. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't happen. Yeah, and it, um, and you've built something by the end of the game, and the the scores. If you know the game well, you can tell who's winning. But if you don't really know the game very well, you can't really tell how many points anyone has because mm. you're not going to do the math. And so you're just right. like building your lovely mm-hmm. little thing. And you may care about the points in the end or you may not. Um, but but it's like it's a satisfying experience that you don't you're not comparing yourself to other people that much. There's the in round mm-hmm. goals where you have like one little point of comparison every round. I think there's a chance that a piece of the success is that the theme feels virtuous to people. Like parents will want to play it with their kids, right? Because you're learning something. And like um, people who think of games as being very frivolous or like don't connect with a lot of the fantasy themes. I think um, there may be an element of the success that that is really the the like nonfiction aspect of Wingspan. What you're saying about the experience of building something and just like hanging out in your beautiful little space and like having your birds, subject matter wise, does that conform in your experience? I don't. I've never really birded before. I'm not. I'm not a birder. I've never done that, but I would love to sometime. Is that sort of the the like? um, Is that the satisfaction one gets from birding? Is it a similar like? Is there a way in which the game, the mechanical abstraction happening in the game, also produces a sort of similar experience to the of the activity of birding? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, for me, it is a fairly solitary pursuit. Like usually there are people who go out in groups, but usually my spouse and I just go out on our own mm. and like, it's a thing you want to be like, doing quietly while you're going yeah. to find yeah. the birds. And then 
And then a lot of people get into keeping lists of the birds that they see. So there's a little bit of that, right? Of like mm-hmm, building mm-hmm. up your little mm-hmm. collection. So this accessibility that you're that we're sort of starting to touch on, right? Ha- not just like, I mean, it's it's beautiful. So it's sort of in a way physically, you know, accessible, like draws us in, you know, wants us to like play with it. I think I remember feeling like the pieces ha- were, were pretty thoughtful in that regard as well. Um, but intellectually and just sort of like conceptually accessible, right? Like families can get into it. Many different types of people can get into it. That I know is something that you are also very interested in on a much larger scale than just your own designs. And I don't feel like we could have a conversation with you about subject matter and games and just sort of like uh, representation and games and things like that without bringing up the other wonderful advocacy work that you do, which we firstly should just thank you for, uh, but also um, just ask you about, right? This, you have these epic lists I mean, they're epic. They, yes. they must be very time consuming because they are very thoughtful and you have created these le- lists of um, women and non-binary designers, uh, black voices in board games, uh, both very accessible on your website, but also integrated into the the um, Board Game Geek, for those of you who don't know, is like Wikipedia for board games. And um, they are exhaustive. They are, I mean, maybe not entirely exhaustive because it seems like you're constantly updating them, but they are, um, they're beautiful and you're, you're doing great things there. And I just, you know, I want to ask you just sort of broadly, how is that in, how is this work that you're doing important to you as a designer, as a player, as a contributor now to the industry of board games? Yeah, they are kind of epic. And I, and I moved them over to board game geek mostly because keeping them up was, work because there are so many women entering board game design. But I started because in 2019, when I was getting lots of interviews about Wingspan, I would, a lot of people would describe me as like one of the only women designing board games mm-hmm. or things like that. And I was like, that is not true. Like, but it can be true that I am one of uh, like, that a small percentage of board game designers are women, right? And that when I go to board game design events, I feel severely in the minority. And yet at the same time, it is also true that there are a lot of women designing board games because there are a lot of people designing board games. Yeah, I was just like, it can't, like, I need to be pointing these people to, like, who else is out there? Because I'm not the only woman. I just wanted to, like, lift people up a little bit with my, you know, on my coattails a little bit. And yeah, so the list on Board Game Geek, I, I forget, it's hundreds of women now. I forget how many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, just in one region, you have like 30, 40. Yeah, you know, it's broken up, up into regions. I had to split it up by regions because like the yeah. list was not loading on my website. <laughs> <laughs> oh my well, that was thoughtful of you. I've seen your <laughs> spreadsheets uh, and I know you, you like breaking things up and organizing <laughs> them. So, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you're part of this one kind of zeitgeist with your design for Wingspan. Are you are, I guess, a leader in another type of of shift in the industry. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I think you're, you're you're a facilitator or an advocate. You're all of these things. What do you hope changes when as this community grows and expands and becomes more inclusive? I hope 
just that we see a broader and broader diversity of games coming out because I think that will continue to bring in a broader diversity of gamers. Like, mm. I think we've been in sort of a, a closed feedback loop of like the, the people running publishing companies like a certain kind of game. And so they're making those games and they're attracting a certain, you know, demographic that looks very much like them. And as publishers break out of that and get a more expansive view of what is possible, um, I think it'll really grow the whole industry and the hobby. And um, I mean, just since I started designing, I was just looking, I went to my first Unpub in 2015, I think it was. And over the years that I've been going to that event, for example, which is a large um, playtesting convention gets people from all over the place the the demographics have like clearly visibly shift, shifted when you walk into the room both the designers and the people coming as playtesters um, but at smaller events it is still like not uncommon for me to go somewhere and be the only woman in the room mm. it's a mm. weird feeling <laughs> I would like that to stop <laughs> yeah, I would like I would to too. shift it so that the the demographics <laughs> of board game designers looks more like the demographics of the general population. Um, yeah. yeah, and of players. Yeah, right? and players. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think you're you're not alone, and you're highlighting. I mean, you're you're not you're alone in some way. <laughs> like, like you just like you just mentioned, but you know, you're you're not alone in other ways. You know, for this desire to shift the needle. And, and again, I think it's just worth um, expressing the appreciation that Absolutely. folks like us have, because as you diversify the community, people contributing, as you said, the games become more interesting. The, we're not taking anything away from the industry by, by broadening it, right? right? We're, we're just making it better. And um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's great work and I just, you know, applause for that. What are you What are you playing right now? What are you excited about in the world of of board gaming? What's on this note, maybe of of new people to the community making new things? What are you What are you What gets you excited? I yeah. have not been getting a lot of new games to the table lately, but I just got in the mail um, the my Kickstarter reward for um, Wicked and Wise which is oh, yeah. a trick-taking game by Fertessa Elise, who um, mm-hmm. I met up with in 2019 at the Tabletop Network conference. So one of the things that they did um, that year, and I think have done since, is they created a, a sort of scholarship and mentorship program for designers from underrepresented backgrounds. Um which I think is one way that we can like move this forward um, is instead of just like passively waiting for things to change, like how can we bring people in and make it, make the barriers to entry as low as possible. So uh, for Tessa was hooked up with me as a mentor at um, that convention. And, and I don't think I actually played Wicked and Wise. I think I played another one of her games, but uh, this Mm. is, this is the first one that I managed to get my hold uh, hands on, so I'm excited about that. Book of Villainy, or yeah, Book of like Villainy that? is the one she was working on it at that yeah. convention. Cool. cool. We'll have to check that That's out. Yeah. 
I can't wait to play the mushroom game. Have you read this book? I'm forgetting the name of the person. I think his first name is Merlin. I'm sure Merlin you know Sheldrake. this book. Yeah, you know this book. I have, about, I've right? started it. I might have it here. Yeah. I have not read it, but it was strongly recommended. Yeah, to me. yeah. The sort of synopsis that was given was like, oh my God, I got to read that book. So yeah. With a name like Merlin. I know. <laughs> a mushroom scientist his, from England named Merlin. His brother is like an experimental music guy and apparently has like hooked electrodes up to mushrooms and made them make noises. Wow. Cool. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Maybe include some of those. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm going to mention this on every single design every single dive. One. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe press a vinyl record and include it in your mushroom game, oh and I will pay the extra fifteen dollars on the Kickstarter of those, to get yeah, it. Of those music, the music <laughs> created from mushrooms by Merlin's brother. Yeah. yeah. That sounds. I just great. Like, I'm going to mention wonderful. this on every single designer deep dive because I you I so love the idea play. of having a vinyl record for my soundtrack while I play the game. That yeah. people have definitely made playlists for Wingspan. I've been some of them are like um, chill bird sounds in the background, and some of them are just like pop songs that mention birds. <laughs> I was hoping for some like. Uh, you know, ethereal yeah. kind of '90s, like you know, salon vibes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's probably what yeah. I would often listen to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're, you're, you're on something there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So we have a list of questions, and yes, they, they, we did not share these I... because they go they, they go best un unthought about. Uh, they are the rapid buyer round and we will just ask the question it could be first thing it pops in your head you can take a second if you want to but don't feel like you need to go super deep with these questions um you can take as much time as you want to answer them and or you could give an anecdote it just it'll be it'll be quick and easy first question is what was the last game you played uh-oh digitally ticket to ride on board game arena Okay. And in person, I think it would have been Castell by Aaron Vanderbilt, oh. um, cool. which is a great game about um, the Catalonian practice of building human towers. That would be a great, highly thematic game, actually, to talk about. Do you think there are, are folks out there that we could talk about? Well, I'm sure there are people in Catalonia who know all of yeah, it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. well, yeah. I guess we got to take a trip to Barcelona. Yeah, there we go. Uh -oh. right. <laughs> okay, um, what is your personal favorite game? That's so hard. I, I know. It. It's sort of the, the desert island question. Yeah. If you could only take one game with you, with your friends, to live on a desert island for the rest of existence, what would that game be? Maybe Race for the Galaxy. Okay. Oh, cool. Great. Maybe All right. Terraforming Great Mars. Mm, yeah, classic. Our listeners know that one very well at this point. Yeah. Cool. So then it's a similar question, but it's different. What is the best game you've ever played? Not necessarily your favorite. Not necessarily but your the favorite. Best game you've ever played. All right. I'm going to go totally left field, best in a, in a very different way. Um, and I'm reminded by Thanksgiving because it is a Thanksgiving tradition in my house to play a game some people might argue whether it's a game or an activity because there is no winner but we call it a game call um on board game geek it's called eat poop you cat 
Okay. I grew up knowing it as <laughs> Telephone Pictionary. Oh. Um, so everybody gets a sheet of paper and they write a sentence at the top of the sheet of paper. Oh my god! And then you pass it over to the next person and they draw a picture representing the sentence. And then they fold back the original sentence and they pass it on. So the next person only sees the picture and they write a sentence and you pass it around like that and you just get like farther and farther. So basically it's telestrations, but with full sentences. Yeah. 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 We 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 do this in our house often. Yeah. Yeah. It's Uh, amazing. I always forget that telestrations exist because it is vastly inferior to this game. So I never play (laughs) telestrations because sentences are so much better than single words. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a great parlor game it's a great yeah. game we love uh, it yeah what do you it's what great do you all call after it? you've uh, me uh, yeah and, i don't know and, that game we play when we're drunk okay <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely introduced with a name when I, I played it at his house not at thanksgiving but at christmas uh yeah. and it was a blast but the reason that i would say it is the best game is that literally anyone who can read and hold a pencil can yeah. play it um i guess read and write I mean, yeah, like I, the, I think it's a great. The to entry is, is pretty low. And yeah, it's, it's they're it's happy to just be someone's partner before they can read, right? So, Yeah, and it's instantaneously teachable. Like, you just you don't, yeah. you don't even have to really explain it. Just write a sentence, and then and, and then you, yeah. and then it's done. You're done teaching. Because then the next step is like, okay, draw a picture. Yeah. And it just goes Pass. and goes and goes. <laughs> yeah. Pass the paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great game. Great pick. I had so much fun playing that game. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a, like more of a... Uh, like rapid fire one co-op or competitive either both i don't oh. care that much about when i win so so i'm like when i'm playing a competitive game i'm leaning co-op if that makes sense <laughs> right uh-huh. like as opposed to my spouse exactly who's like if he doesn't win he's unhappy and i'm just like oh we played a game yay like so that's that sounds like sort of a cooperative answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, like I have other co-op. friends who don't really enjoy co-op games, so like I'm happy mm-hmm. to not play co-ops when I'm playing with them. It's fine either way. Sure. All right. Here's another quick one. Favorite snack on board game day? Peanut butter pretzels. Ooh, Ooh good one. Yeah. Love it. What do you want to see more of in board games? It's not railroads or castles. No. It is not. <laughs> um, although I was leaning towards like real world things that people like where you can really tell that the designer really loves that thing. And it's not mm. just like, I don't know, set in random European city in the past. To, like, But like that there's like love behind the selection of the theme. What do you want to see less of in games? The thing I just said. <laughs> <laughs> the like the the board game that is themed after random European city of the past. Great. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, makes sense. What is what is your uh, dream meeple shape? Like if you could have a meeple in the shape of anything, just as a keepsake. Oh, like the first thing that came to my mind is like, wait, meeples are just me- like what? What do you? But you mean like any animal or whatever? Any anything? Yeah, just in um, any shape. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about my fox meeples. Mm, okay. Cool. You're, cool. So you're, you've you've manifested your dream people by designing a game. <laughs> I don't know dream people, but, and there's a million <laughs> bird meeples now too from meeple yeah. So like, that's right. Yeah, I'm pretty happy in the meeple department. Really. 
All right. So you may have to refer to that list on your phone for um, the, the to answer this question. If you could see any subject matter turned into a game, what would that subject matter be? Oh, I'm already doing it. Mm. Yeah. Love um, it. All right. So maybe it's that one design you just can't come up with a mechanic for, right? It's that, that yeah. one theme that you're just like, there's not a mechanic yet. But you also don't. Yeah, I know. Yeah, one that I will probably never approach because I don't know how I would do it. But that is is on my list, and this is I didn't peek, but this is the first one that comes to mind. Is like something about the women's roles in World War Two. The subject that has always interested me. So I don't know if it would be like in the armed forces or on the home field or both or any of the above. I just find it really interesting how much society completely like shifted who was doing what during that time period yeah yeah and yeah. all I the think... world war ii games are all about men so like what well, where was the other 50 yeah. percent of the population when those games were taking place right okay so this is kind of a funny one if you could um see any game that does exist uh adapted into some other media or some other cultural form like oh uh, terraforming Mars as like a Victorian novel or something, uh, or, you know, or a play or a film or a fresco, uh, you know, uh, what would that be? Hasn't Asmodee said that they're going to do that? Like board game. Oh my God. Really? I don't know. I'm stumped on that one. You said you liked, I mean, you could say, uh, you could go watch a, a human tower. So, yeah, <laughs> I have. so in DC, yeah. we have the Smithsonian Folklife Festival every year, and they highlight mm-hmm. a few different cultures. And a couple of years ago, they had Catalonia, and they had people come build themselves into towers. It's amazing. Wow. It's really cool. So, you amazing. could do Torres in the people building performative uh, performance art. <laughs> awesome. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah, I, right, I want to see Castell the movie. All right, here's a here's a quick one. Dice or cards? Yes. <laughs> Preferred method for randomization. Dice it, or cards? It depends on the situation. I will say that within dice, I have a strong preference for rolling and then deciding what to do with your roll it, as opposed to deciding what to do and then rolling to see if it worked. Oh, that's nice. the point okay. of difference that I that I care about mm. more than dice versus awesome. That's insightful. Thank you. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, okay, this is the last one, I believe. So the last one. Uh, what's one piece of advice um, that you would offer to, and I'm sure you do offer advice often to aspiring designers? So not like the only thing you could ever say to them, but one one thing like that you would say uh, that you would offer anyone who's trying to design a game about something that they love, maybe. Get it out of your head and onto the table. Like all the okay. time that you spend thinking about it and not making it is can turn out to be wasted time because the first time you get it to the table, you realize all those things you were perseverating on in your head like don't actually work. <laughs> so like awesome. just build a crappy prototype and and go from there. Well, that's all of our questions for the rapid fire round. And um, most of our questions that we wanted to talk with you about, thank you so much for your time this this evening, afternoon, and um, being so generous with your your thoughtful answers and 
all the other wonderful things you do for the game industry. My pleasure. This is yes. fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, really a pleasure uh, and a thrill to have you on for the episode. So looking forward to uh, looking forward to posting it. Awesome. Looking forward to playing the Fox Experiment. Absolutely, yeah. Big time. Those little Fox meeples. Yep, yep. It's going to be fun. 